I want to take you back a little over a year ago. Uh, it was uh, the middle of the night, uh, all of our families at home, and at 3 a.m., our house alarm goes off. Now, uh, when your house alarm goes off at 3 a.m., two things come to mind. One is, especially when you have teenagers, one, kids are trying to get out of the house. Uh, or secondly, there's a burglar, somebody's trying to break in. And uh, we knew our kids were at home because they all jumped out uh, of the bed. But um, we're thinking this can't be good, right? Now, now for you, you're probably smart. You, you probably worked out all these details in, in your head. And, and so when the alarm goes off, I mean, you, you grab your weapon of choice, whatever that may be for you and you choose to do in your home, that's up to you. But you grab your weapon of choice and quietly like open your bedroom door and you tiptoe through the hallway hoping to, to, to find these people and to, to be able to scare them, to get them out, throw a shoe at them, whatever it is you need to do, right? Some reason, I must have been in the best sleep I've ever had in my entire life because I am out cold and the alarm goes off. I do none of those things that you should do in that moment, all right? I literally jump out of bed, I sling our bedroom door open, and, and my, my mind and my legs, they are not working together at all. Again, I'm in this deep sleep. So I am literally staggering through the hallway, blowing into every single one of the walls, and like somebody's had way, way too much to drink, and run right out into the living room. And later I'm like, man, this could have been bad news for me if someone had been in our house and was breaking in. The reality was the adhesive on the little sensor, it decided not to work at 3 a.m. in the morning, as most sensors do, and fall off, and <laughs> that's why the alarm was going off. But anyway, for all of you that were not like me and you're bold, you're bold because you, you want to protect your family, right? You, you want to make sure that they're okay, and, and so you put these steps into place so you can do just that. Like, we're, we're going to be bold in life. There, there are moments and times where we need to be bold to protect ourselves, to protect others, Maybe even to protect something we believe in. And that's why today, as we continue our series called The Church is Blank, we're going to talk about how the church is bold. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me kind of go back and give you a little quick synopsis of the series. Uh, we started last week and we said, you know, the church is, is people, right? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and see all the people. We did that. Many of you, man, you were right in line with me. And, uh, and so we, we talk about how the church is people. But, but then we said the church is people, but the church is full of broken people. And it's full of broken people because you and myself were a part of it. But, but thankfully, God loved the church so much, he sent Jesus to, to love the church even more than we could ever love it or care for it. And, and through our brokenness, God uses the church in incredible and incredible ways. But as we began last week, we said we, we have this, this word, right? This word church in the New Testament. But the word that's actually used there is ecclesia. And an ecclesia is a group of people who are on mission together. And so the, the church isn't really this, this, this building, this structure, you know, the organization. It's about us. It's about the people. And that early church, as it was beginning, it had no concept of, hey, we're going to build these four, four walls and we're going to put a steeple on it and this is what it's going to look like and it's going to have pews in it. It's going to smell like you know, a basement and all that kind of stuff. They didn't have any of those thoughts because that wasn't what the church was. It was all about people, this group of people on mission together. And in fact, as it begins, Jesus gives it this proclamation. He tells his disciple this in Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 8. He says, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Here's Jesus who tells them right before he goes into heaven, he's like, hey, I've got this command for you. Read about it in Matthew. He's like, hey, I want you to go tell people my story, help them to follow me, obey me, baptize them, make disciples. And he says, and then this church thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread. But I'm going away. Like, I'm leaving. I'm going to leave you here. Uh, I, I've given you some things you, you can use. Now, now go figure it out. And I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be with you. But you need to go figure it out. Now, now, now think about this, this group of followers. For three plus years, they had been following Jesus. I mean, he was their leader. He took on all the burdens. I mean, he was doing all the teaching. He, he was doing the healing and, and the miracles. And these guys are just kind of like, hey, this is kind of cool. We get to be, experience this. We, we get to see this happening. But now Jesus is saying, I'm going to be gone, and, and you've got to figure this out. And they did. They figured it out. Uh, God's spirit starts to move, and, and there's a day where Peter just stands up in front of everybody and is like, hey, let me tell you about this Jesus guy. And on the first day, you know, kind of like opening day of the church, right, there's 3,000 people. They're like, man, we are all in. Then two weeks later, we find there's over 5,000 people that are now following Jesus, that are part of this ecclesia. There's this, this movement that's happening. But as with any movement, there's definitely resistance. If we go to the first part of Acts, we find Peter and John, and you have these two disciples, and they come to the temple one day. They're there to pray with, with other followers, and they're there at the temple, and, and what they, they do is they, they meet this lame man. Now, this lame man has been there for about 40 years. This whole community knows him. They're familiar with him. They, they know he's, he hasn't been able to walk. His friends and family bring him there to the temple every day so he can ask for food, so he can ask for money. This is the way he sustained himself and, and probably part of his family by, by doing this. Well, well, Peter and John are like, look, man, we don't have any cash on us, but uh, we, we, we got this Jesus thing, and, and so we're going to heal you. And so they heal him. And he gets up and he's able to walk and, and the people know that this is who he was before and what he, he couldn't do and, and they're amazed. And so people start following Jesus because of this moment. But again, there's that resistance that's there. And it's the religious leaders. The religious leaders are like, hey, you, you, you got to stop this. This isn't good. You know, they're, they're not following us anymore. Now they're following Jesus. And, and, and no matter what they were trying to do to stop this, no matter what resistance they were putting up, the church continued to grow, and it grew quickly, and it grew exponentially. We read this in Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 29. Here's the response that uh, the apostles have, the disciples have, after they are reprimanded by the religious leaders for what they've just done through this healing. It says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here's this group of people that are following Jesus. And, um, and by doing that, their lives will probably never be the same. Uh, they may end up losing careers and, and family members and reputations and, and their lives. And, and yet they continue to lead this movement, this ecclesia, even with that resistance present. But do you see what they're doing right here? They begin by praying these incredible, bold prayers. Notice what they didn't pray here. If you, you look at that, it, they didn't pray for protection. They, they, they didn't pray here that, that people would leave them alone. They didn't pray for 
a bigger church, a bigger building, and more space. They didn't pray for any of that. They prayed for boldness. And so as we see the early church as it begins, it's all about this, this boldness that's there. I want you to think about your prayers maybe over the course of the last week or month or whenever the last time is you prayed. You probably prayed a prayer of safety. And in fact, if you pray on a regular basis, you probably pray safety quite often. But, but think about this. We, we live in one of the safest, um, safest places in the whole wide world. Some of the, the biggest freedoms in the whole wide world. And yet our prayers so often are centered on safety. We pray for safety for ourselves, for our family, for the person we're married to, the people we're dating, our kids, our homes, our, our jobs. We, we pray these prayers of safety over and over again. But then we look at this early church and they don't pray for safety. They're praying that that they can continue to tell the people around them about who Jesus is. They're not praying for safety from the resistance that they're facing. They're praying that God will make them even more bold so they can continue to share this faith that they have. So they continue to share the experiences they've had with Jesus and, and what Jesus was doing and the hope they had because Jesus was a part of their lives. Now think about this. If they had been praying about safety... I would say that probably within about six months to a year, this movement of Jesus would have just ended because they wouldn't have been bold anymore. They'd have been too afraid to take those steps, but they're praying for boldness. They're, they're fueled by this incredible conviction that, that there's something that's going to happen once you leave this earth, once you, you die here. Are you ready to take that step? What does it look like for you? And so there's this conviction that they have. And because they're so bold, they're causing problems to the people who are resisting them. The religious leaders are afraid. They're afraid for their livelihood. People are not following them anymore. Now they're a part of this ecclesia. They're, they're following Jesus. And, and so there's this definite tension that's there. And it's all because here's this group of people who are bold. You know, we see Peter and John, they, they heal this man. The religious leaders bring them in. They reprimand them, and they actually throw them in jail. They throw all 12 disciples in jail. And in the middle of the night, God sends an angel. The angel lets all of them out. And what do they do when they get out? They continue to be bold. In fact, they preach more boldly. And then we read this in Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 27. It says, Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Now, now if you, you read those words there, in those two verses, there's a lot of anger there. There's a lot of jealousy that's there. There's, um, you know, the, these individuals are saying, you're messing with our career. You're messing with our, our lives. What they're really trying to say is you're messing with our power. Like, we're losing control, we're losing power, and now you're blaming us for, for Jesus' death. And so they're, they're giving it to these apostles. They're, they're, they're telling them, hey, it, it's your fault that all this is kind of happening. The bigger issue was, again, that people are following Jesus like crazy. Uh, in fact, let me kind of give you some possible numbers here. If you were to look at the population of Jerusalem at this time, 
On the low end, you're talking, people say maybe about 40,000. On the high end, about 80,000. So somewhere in that neighborhood. We're, we're going to just, we're going to be conservative and go on the high end here and say there's 80,000 people who are in Jerusalem. Now, that's men, women, and children, okay? Well, if we go back and look at what we just talked about with some of the numbers we see for the early church, you know, that first day, 3,000 people are like, man, we're in. Two weeks later, I said this, uh, a few moments ago that there were 5,000 people. Now, it's actually 5,000 men is what you find in the book of Acts. So we've got 5,000 men in the book of Acts who are following Jesus. I can promise you there are at least 5,000 women who are doing the exact same thing. And women tend to be more religious, so it may be been higher than that. But we're just going to go ahead and do person for person here, okay? So, so we're looking at, at potentially 10,000 people who are now following Jesus. Now, my math's not always that great, but I think that's like 13%. 14% of the population of Jerusalem, if 80,000 is the number we're using, are now following Jesus. Like they're a part of the church. They're a part of this ecclesia. This isn't decades later, all right? This isn't even months later. This is weeks after Jesus has died and come back to life and gone back into heaven. I mean, this church thing is growing so quickly and the city is changing. The landscape is changing. The religious things that are happening are, are kind of going out the, 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 the window. And so these, these religious leaders, they have this incredible fear that they're going to lose their power. And so they're, they're, they're really causing problems for these disciples. Look at verse 29, Acts 5. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. These disciples, they, they knew the power of the religious leaders because they had watched that play out with Jesus. They, they watched them lead to this group of people to, to put Jesus to death. And, and if we go back to when Jesus was put to death, where do we find these guys? They're actually holed up in a room. Like they're in this upper room and they're hiding. The doors are locked. There's all this, this fear that they have. And here we are a few weeks later and they're totally different people. I mean, they are incredibly bold with their words. They're not afraid anymore. There's something that they're holding on to. And again, it's that hope that they find in Jesus. Look at verse 33. It says, when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Theodos who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed. And all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judea of Galilee, or Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all his followers were scattered. Hopefully there's always that one person, kind of like Gamaliel here, who jumps in, has the wisdom, the experience, the respect, and, and people listen to what they have to say. And, and he says, hey, let's think back a little bit, guys. Let, let, let's look back in our recent history. 
because here we want to we kill these people. And, and the deal is we, we've seen this play out before. So we've had two other instances where somebody's come into power or, or trying to come into power and, and they lead this revolt, this revolution, but they're killed. And when they're killed, what happens then? There's no leader. And so when there's no leader, the people that are following are just like, I guess we're just back to our normal lives. He's like, this has happened to us twice. And so he gives them some advice. Here's what he says, verse 38. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing, on doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. He's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's not worry about it. It's probably going to die out. Again, we've seen this happen in the past. Just, just let it go. But, but he's doing some foreshadowing here, even though he probably doesn't know it. He's like, but if it's from God, it doesn't make any difference what we do. There is no way that we will be able to stop this. Look at verse 40. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And so these guys, they, they all come together, and they listen to what Gamaliel has to say, and they're like, all right, this, this sounds great to us. Bring these guys back in. So they bring him back in. They bring the disciples in. They reprimand them, like, don't ever do this again. And then they flog them. Well, here's the response from the apostles, the disciples at that moment. Verse 41 says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Everyone sort of has different opinions on how you should uh, discipline kids, right? Um, I, I grew up in a home that uh, there were three boys, and the discipline of choice for three boys in a home, in a very small home, was, uh, was spanking, okay? And I know some of you agree, disagree, whatever. Leave that, keep that to yourself. I really don't care. But, but for my parents, they're like, this is the only way we can really discipline our kids. And, and so we were spanked quite, quite a bit a, as children. But, but there was never one time, not one time that I can remember, where we got spanked and we walked away going, Mother, Father, that was totally worth it. Thank you so much for that punishment. It was much needed. We so deserve this. We rejoice in this punishment you have given us. Not one time did that ever happen. But, but look at what's taking place here. Here we have these disciples, and they've, they've been reprimanded. They've been thrown in jail, and now they have been flogged. And you see what it says? It says they were rejoicing in this. Now, it doesn't say they were happy because of the pain they endured. Now, the, the reason they were rejoicing, I, I truly believe, is because for just an instance, they had to to experience what Jesus got to experience. Like, like they were bold enough to, to speak up about this faith and what they believed and, and the experiences they had with Jesus. They were so bold that they were, they were willing to say, hey, we will do whatever it takes to tell the story of Jesus. And so they were punished for that. They were told, hey, you can never talk about Jesus again. And yet we look at verse 42. It says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't stop. They, they, they kept being bold. They kept telling who Jesus was. They kept sharing their faith in the temple where they were told not to anymore, in homes. And again, the church continued to grow. And it was all because 
of their boldness. Now, if we look at what we see here in this early church and we, we, we read about today, especially with this resistance that's there and how they continued to be bold no matter what was going on in their life, no matter how they were treated, there's a few things that we find in here that I think are so true for us as the church today. And so let me kind of share those with you right now. The first one is this, the church is bold in words. I mean, it's amazing when we read about these disciples and what they're doing and, and they're not afraid to, again, tell about their faith and to tell what they believe and to tell about their experiences and to, to share those, even with the religious leaders, even with the ones who are looking to kill them. They're willing to continue to, to speak bold words to so many people. And because of that boldness, the church again, it continued to grow. Now I want you to think about us for a second. Where is it that we are bold? Well, we're not very bold like these uh, leaders were, the, the early church was. We're, we're not quite to, to that boldness, maybe not even close to it. But we're really bold <laughs> when we're behind a keyboard on social media, aren't we? Oh, we're not afraid to tell everybody what we believe, what we think, you know, what we think about them, what do we think about their political party, their platform, you know, their COVID-19 ideas, all this kind of stuff. I mean, we're really, really bold in that setting. But if we were face-to-face -face with them, we would never have that conversation because we'd like to be bold when, when we can kind of hide. Now, now when, when we're that kind of bold, so often the boldness that we have isn't for good either. So often our boldness is negative. There, there's no positive thing behind it. We're, we're not trying to protect anybody or, or help anyone. We're, we're trying to be critics. Not even critics. We're just critical people. We, we're full of criticism. And, and so we're, we're negative with the words that we, we type and we put on social media. And, and very rarely are we, we kind of, of that bold in face-to-face -face situations. But I'm not talking this morning about being bold in that way. Too often, churches are bold in that way, and it doesn't make the church look good, and doesn't really help more and more people know who Jesus is. And that's really our goal. I mean, our, we're here on mission together to help more and more people know who Jesus is. But, but can we be bold with, with our words? Not even talking about getting up in front of people like Peter did on a street corner and preaching to people. And I'm not talking about that kind of bold either. Uh, I'm not talking talking about the kind of bold where you go to somebody and it's kind of a weird when you do it especially people you don't know like hey if, if you were to die tonight do you know where you would spend eternity that's not the kind of bold I'm talking about either today I, I'm talking about a boldness that goes beyond the norm because, because our, our world that we live in especially here in America is, is so negative I mean our boldness can just be encouraging words to someone else an encouraging letter to someone else where, where we are using our abilities to that we should have from following Christ to encourage other people. Maybe our boldness also comes from our ability to just invite someone to be a part of something we're doing. Whether it's an event we do as a church uh, for the community or coming on a Sunday morning or, or being a part of a, a small group. I mean, that's pretty bold in, in today's world to invite people to be a part of that. But it's also the kind of person we are with people that we're around on a day-to-day -day basis people we work with, could be family members, uh, definitely the neighborhood we live in. Are, are we bold in our words? And, and, and what I mean is, and we talked about this last week, the world is broken, okay? I mean, the church is broken, but the world is really broken. And if we look at the world and we think about how broken the world is, so often our opportunity to be bold 
It's just through a conversation with someone. To, to hear their story and, and to hear their, their struggles when it comes to relationships, when it comes to finances or kids or marriage or dating or, or whatever it may be, and to listen. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a sickness they're going through. Maybe it's a, a loss. And to be able to say, hey, I hear what you're saying. I, I want to share with you a little bit about where I find hope. And you never know where that conversation will lead to be able to share in boldness that hope that you have through Christ. See, when the church is functioning as it should, it is bold, and it is bold in words. But the church is also bold with actions. If we look at the early church, we see so many actions that they're taking. It's really, if you look at it, this really is why the church is, is growing and why more and more people are following Christ. They're meeting together in the temple courts on a regular basis. Right? This is not really where you want to be when you've been thrown in jail by the religious leaders, when they keep reprimanding you for, for talking about Jesus, and they've flogged you, and yet you keep going to the same place to tell more and more people about Jesus. There was these actions that they were taking, but it goes beyond that. They were praying together on a regular basis. Again, Jewish faith, praying together was sort of a normal thing, but this was beyond that because they're praying these different prayers. They're, they're praying these prayers for boldness to share more. And then the thing that was getting people was they were so generous. Like, like their actions that were really changing people's lives was here was this group of people that were willing to sell everything they had so that they could give to those that were in need. Again, that was so against the norm at that time. And so they're so generous with, with what they have. They're bold with these actions. And if you look, it says more and more people are following Jesus, not because of the words as much as their actions. Their actions were what were leading people to follow Christ. It even says here in Acts, it says that people who didn't even want to follow Jesus were amazed that these people were doing the things that they were doing. See, the church can be so bold when it comes to the actions that we take in our life. So are we willing to take those bold actions in the world we live in? Again, we, we try to do that here at The Journey with the events that we do, outreach projects that we're a part of, the, the people in our community we're helping. Even beyond that, as we've done some work with uh, CICM to get vaccinations to people in India. I mean, we do those things. But, but if you were to look at yourself, what are you doing? Maybe, maybe right in your neighborhood. Actions that you're taking that are connecting with people and connecting people to Jesus, maybe for the very first time, even though if they don't know it. Because you're living differently. Because you probably have neighbors that people in your neighborhood know, and they do everything they can to stay away from them. And, and yet these people may be going through a tough time. They may be struggling and maybe health issues. There, there may just be some, some problems within the home. Are you the type of person to go up to them like, hey, we want to take care of dinners for you all week? Hey, we want to mow your yard for you. Hey, we're going to wash your car. Hey, we're going to do whatever we can to help you out. You, you need to let us know. And if you don't, that's okay. We're still going to come and help you out. Because, see, we, we have a hope in something bigger than ourselves. If we're followers of Christ, we should have this hope in Jesus, and we should want to share that with the world, and we do that through the actions that we take. Because the church is not only bold in words, but the church is bold in actions. But the way that we get there is because the church is bold with our faith. Faith is what leads us to these actions and words. This bold faith, this belief that there's something bigger and better than me. That, that there's hope in, in something that's, 
not the hope that too often I put in myself or my career or in the size of my bank account, but, but there's a hope that I see through Christ. And, and because of that hope in, in Christ, I, I can have this bold faith that in the end ends up being the bold actions and the bold words that I use to share that hope with others. But sometimes for us to have that bold faith, our world has to be shaken up a little bit. I know some of you have been sitting there the whole time and you haven't listened to a word I've said because you're trying to figure out why does he have a snow globe up there with him. Well, let me kind of share with you a little bit of story that you're not even going to care about, but it's okay. Let me tell you how this thing got started, the snow globe. Um, there's an Austrian whose name was Erwin Percy, and um, he's considered the, the inventor of, of the present-day snow globe. Now, this invention came, as most uh, inventions come, it came by accident. Uh, he actually ran a medical supply, surgical supply business, and, and one of his surgeons came to him and said, look, I need more light. That's not everything you want a surgeon to say, right? You know, I'm in the operating room, I'm trying to operate, and I need more light so I can see what I'm doing. And, and, and so he said, okay, I'll, I'll try to figure this out. And, and so Percy started to, to do some research, and he used a method that he had heard that shoemakers were actually using, uh, that they were making sort of these, these spotlights so that they could see better the intricate weaving and, and sewing that they were doing to, to create shoes. And, and so he, he takes this, this glass globe, glass ball, and he, and he fills it with, with water. And, and then he says, you know, I'm put a candle, a bright candle on one side, and, and this is going to increase the light, the magnification that, that can come through here. Well, he found out that doesn't really work well, and so he, he decided, you know what, I'm going to put reflective pieces of glitter in here, and that should help brighten it. Well, as he does all of this, he's like, maybe I can sell this. And so he begins to actually make these, and he begins to sell these snow globes, and again, he is known as the inventor of the modern-day snow globe. Now, what does a snow globe, Percy, and boldness have to do with anything? Here's the deal. You look at the snow globe, and... When it sits like this, it's normal. There's nothing special about it, right? It's just, it's just normal. It's just a, a paperweight more than anything else. It's not until you shake it, and if you've got kids, they usually do it very violently, but it's not until you shake it that you really see the beauty that's there. For some of us in our lives, we kind of have lived that normal life. Maybe there's nothing too great that's really happened in our life. Maybe we've made some bad choices and decisions. Maybe we've been directionless. But then somebody jumped into our life, right? A, a teacher, a mentor, a professor, a friend, a family member, somebody, and they said, hey, can I help you out? Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be bold with you. I'm going to share some things with you. And I, I'm going to impart some wisdom. I'm going to encourage you. I, I'm going to treat you the way you should be treated. But, but I'm going to call you out on this. You, you kind of messed up. And because you've messed up, I want to be there for you. I want to help you. I'm going to shake you up a little bit. And, and so you can truly see who you were created to be. And you're where you are today because of that person or maybe a couple of people who, who jumped into your life and shook your world up. There are probably moments, in fact, I know there are moments in our lives where we live normally. We're just kind of going through the day-to-day -day life and it kind of goes back to our last series called Weird where we were talking about how everybody wants to be normal. We want to be like everybody else, but there's not a whole lot of fun in being normal. 
what we find and, and what some of us, maybe many of us is ex have experienced is that, that Jesus shows up in our life and Jesus shakes things up and it kind of scares us a little bit. But, but because of that being shaken up, we, we really get to see the beauty that's there. We, we get to see who, who God has created us to be and we get to live that out. And through that boldness or through that shaking that has happened in our life, we can become bold. That, that we have to be shaken to get to that place of boldness, a bold faith where we live that out, that we understand there's hope. But Jesus has to come in and shake up our lives. And maybe for some of us here today, Jesus has been trying to shake your life up for a while. And, and you just haven't taken that step. You, you like normal. You like when things are calm. But, but you really haven't experienced what it's like when, when Jesus shakes up your world because then you get to see who you're created to be. Then you get to fully experience who Jesus is. And that will change your life forever. And so maybe for you it's just being bold and taking that first step in your life. Being bold and taking that first spiritual step. Maybe it's saying, hey, I want Jesus to be the leader of my life. I, I want to follow Jesus. Could be, hey, I want to take the step of baptism in my life. If that's where you are, if you want to have that conversation with us, there's connection cards in the seats in front of you. You can sign up through our uh, app or even if you're online, the connection card that's there and, and really begin to understand what your life shaken by Jesus, what it will really look like. And you can take that first bold step. But then for others of us, maybe we're followers of Christ and we've kind of struggled with this. We, we kind of go back and forth between what's normal and what's weird and, and, and we just need to be reminded we've been shaken. That Jesus has jumped into our world, into our life, and there's beauty when we are shaken, but there's also boldness. And that because we have been shaken, we can be bold. That we can have this bold faith. That we can use bold words and bold actions as we help more and more people see what Jesus can do in their life. That Jesus can bring the hope that so many people are looking for. But the question for us is, are we willing to be bold? Today, as we take communion together as a church, if you're in this room, you can grab your elements. If you're at home right now, you can grab those elements there. It is a reminder to us that we are called to be bold, that, that God sent Jesus to this earth to love us, to love the church. But, but in that sending of Jesus, it shook our world up. And, and if we're the type of people that can hold on to being shaken by Jesus, then we can be bold in our faith because we have that hope in Christ. And so right now, we want to be reminded of that as we commune together, as we take this bread and we, as we are reminded that, that we are broken and that Jesus is here, is coming to this world to shake our lives up through the giving of his body. Let's take together. And now we drink this cup to be reminded that we have hope. That we have hope for now, that we have hope for our future, that we have hope for eternity. And that all we're asked to do is to be bold in our faith and to share that hope with others. Let's take together. God, we are grateful, thankful, and I pray hopeful. Sometimes our lives need to be shaken. 
to remind us that we have this incredible hope in Christ. And so God, as we think uh, about that today, let us be reminded that that to do that and to live that life means we have to take bold steps. Maybe bold words, bold actions. Maybe it's a bold first step that we take. But it's only then, through the shaking of our lives, that we can, we can be bold and that you can lead us to that boldness. Because as we look at that early church, man, they had so many things against them, and yet they continued to be bold. There had to be something that they, they believed in, they had hope in, that, that took them to, to really, for, for all of them, to took them to death. God, I pray that we can be that bold. And that through that boldness, you would lead us. God, I pray that you would use us as we share that boldness and the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.